a number of years ago, uh, I was, I was young. I was around 26 years old. My wife and I had our oldest daughter at the time. And, uh, and my whole life got completely turned upside down because I decided to step into this space with Jesus Christ and this little church in downtown Oceanside near where I grew up. And I stepped into this relationship and about 18 months later, I was sitting in downtown Oceanside and I was having a conversation with a a very good friend of mine who was foundational in the formation of my spiritual life. And we're sitting in a coffee shop. And by that point, I had really stepped into serving. I had stepped in financially. Um, I was in business at the time. And so I had extra money. And so I was doing whatever I could to serve and to participate and to contribute. And I'm sitting in this coffee shop. And we're around 27 years old. And so I... I'm having this conversation with a friend, and this is the conversation. Uh, Our friends are dying. We need to go get them. And it was really that simple. See, at the time, I was the next generation. There's always a next generation. And we made the decision, our friends are dying. We need to go get them. And so almost 21 years ago, we made the trek from the promised land, which is the coast, into the desert of San Marcos, California. And we started this little gathering of people that made it their mission to go after people. And today, this is the byproduct of that. I don't say that, thank, I appreciate that. I don't say that for your applause. I say that because there's something important about the conversation. Our friends are dying And we need to go get them. And we made the decision to love our friends and love people and go get them. And we aimed directly at people. People were our aim. Today, we're going to talk about how people are God's aim, people are Jesus' aim, and therefore people are our aim. Nothing has changed You will see today that from the beginning of our faith in Jesus, we have this simple, professed calling to make people our aim. I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. uh, Jesus is, you know, just risen from the grave. Let Let me set this up for you a little bit. Jesus is just risen. He was murdered, as it was foretold in scripture. Jesus was born. He grew up. He stepped into his ministry. He was brutally murdered for you and I to have this opportunity. 
and he's risen and this grave is empty. And the two Marys show up and he's not there and they're greeted by an angel and they're afraid, but yet they're excited because they're like, Jesus is alive. All the things that had been said are, are actually true. And the guards that were there who in Roman culture, for sure, like they're headed probably to death. The only thing that saved him was that the powers that were at play didn't want any of these professed followers of Jesus to hear the truth that he had risen. So they concocted a lie and they paid these guards to perpetuate this lie and to tell everybody that the disciples had actually stolen Jesus' body from the tomb. This is where we pick up in the story. Jesus is speaking. He shows up. The, the women run. They tell the disciples. There were 11 disciples at the time. There were originally 12. What happened to the 12th? Judas, he's out. Sold Jesus. So this is where Jesus picks up. I mean, immediately after this, you got to imagine Jesus, the first thing he says to these disciples, the very first moment, he says, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus had told them, this is what's going to happen. When this happens, I want you to go and meet me at this place. How's that? Like Jesus tells them. So they're like, it's happening. They go to the place that Jesus has told them. When they saw him, some of them believed. Some did not believe. Some are going to believe that Jesus Christ wants an intimate relationship with them. And he's pressing and opening, he's holding space for them. Some people will doubt. This tells me that there's both at play. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now I'm going to stop right there because it's important that he reiterates this. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Why does he say this? Because he wants to further encourage those who fell and worshiped him. He wants to further encourage those of you this morning that have said yes to Jesus. I want this sermon, I want this time together to be a further encouragement to you. To keep pressing in. To keep stepping in. To stay committed to what it is that Jesus Christ has done in your life. Jesus is saying, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth for you to be able to do what I'm about to say. But I need you to understand that I've been given all authority. I want to further encourage you. On the flip side, he's saying to everyone who was doubting, if you're doubting, if you're like, Jesus, I'm doubting you today. God, I'm doubting you today. I don't know what to do with my faith today. That this is also an encouragement for you, that Jesus Christ has been given all authority. So it's, it's, it's duly purposed. It's to say, I want to further encourage you, and I want to call you to clarity. And then Jesus goes on and he gives in, in, in what we consider in, in terms of faith, the great commission. He goes on and he says, therefore, guys, I've been given all authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus' simple instruction is to go get more people. (laughs) Hey, listen, even if you're doubting, listen, Jesus didn't say, okay, all of you who fell in worship, can you step to this side? I want to talk. I want to have a holy huddle over here for you. Let me tell you, this side of the room, bingo, you got it. This morning, I saw you, your hands were up, you were singing. You're the faithful, you're the worshipers. Let me tell you, go get more people. All of you, you were kind of doubting this morning. I don't know, this side of the room was like, mm. we're going to have a different conversation because I want to wag my Jesus finger at you. You notice how Jesus didn't do that? You know how Jesus just said, whether you're a doubter or whether you're a worshiper, whether you believe or whether you're questioning, let me tell you something. I've been given authority and your role is to go get more people. That tells me that in your doubt, you can go get more people. (laughs) That tells me in your deep belief, you can go get more people. That today, what we have to understand is that there's no cooling off period. (laughs) Jesus didn't exit the grave and then say, you know, we need a three-year study program to get you guys up to speed so that you can go get more people and go to the nations. You know what he said? In your greatest doubt... With your greatest fears, feeling all the feels, go get more people right now. And too often we think it's this far off thing. Well, you know, I I, I, I need to take Haley's How to Study the Bible class. Let me say something. You should take Haley's How to Study the Bible class. You know what the number one thing that Google has figured out that people search on? You know what they? Guess what? How to study the Bible. Like, we're not like blindfold. Let's shoot at something that might be good. We're very purposed in this. Why do we say you should take a how? Because we know that by and large, most people in the world are Googling this very thing. But you don't need that class to go get more people. We envision seeing others step into the space that Jesus created. That's what we envision as a church. That's that's what Jesus envisions for you in your life. So number one, uh, let's look at people or God's aim. I love this this scripture. It's this is like basics. This is all of our little guys and girls right now. Like this is you think like oh this is like children's ministry verse. John what? I didn't even have to tell you. You knew. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then, hold on a second. And then it says something fascinating. So that everyone who believes in him should what? But have eternal life. 
And then it goes on, it says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. It's a little bit of like a verbal like gymnastics, right? Like, I believe I'm judged, I'm not judged, but I am judged if I didn't believe already. Here's what this is saying. You are living underneath the judgment of sin without Jesus Christ already. So if, you're already, if you've already been judged because you're living in sin, Jesus didn't come to then judge the already judged. He came to set you free. That's, the good, that's why we say it's the good news. People say, well, why does God judge? Well, God's not judging you. You actually put yourself in a position of judgment. Jesus is unjudging you. Amen, pastor. Let me talk about love. For God so loved the world. So this is what we hear in today's society, man. We just need to love each other. Can we just love? I just gotta love you. I love you, man. And I feel like if I just love you, like the world is just gonna be a better place. Because love is our God. And we mistake that because God is love. But when you flip it over, we've made love our God. This word love is agape love. You might have heard this. This is sacrificial love. I love this definition. Haley actually is the one who gave us this definition. I love it. She said, uh, it's sacrificial love that calls another to their highest good. She actually preached this in one of her messages in the last six months. It's an act of love. Let me say this again. It's a sacrificial love that calls another to their highest good. God loved the world so much that he sent his son so that. God made people his aim of his love, but God's sacrificial love has a purpose. This is my point. We need to make people our aim. God, just like God did, God loved people, but love has a purpose. The aim is not love. We make, we make the purpose of what we're doing love. That's not the purpose of God's love. God's purpose of his love was to call humanity to its highest good. He sacrificed, and in the sacrifice, it was to give us the opportunity as a calling to our highest good. Are you with me this morning? Love is the fuel to build the bridge to Jesus as the only true Savior. So that... Humanity can be called to their highest good. There's no, there, there's, there's no one else. Jesus has the name above what? All names. There's no savior called by any other name. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It was Jesus in the beginning. It's Jesus now. It'll always be Jesus. The world wants to take and twist that and wants to call it by other names. But the scripture tells me that Jesus' name is the name above what? All other names. Jesus' name is the only name that stirs such controversy. No other higher power stirs the controversy that Jesus does. I can say, do you believe in God? You say yes. And, I, and if I said to you, as Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, those are fighting words. Amen? What is the highest good then? You know, if, if the idea is love has a purpose and it's calls for our highest good, what is the highest good? So that everyone who believes will not perish and have eternal life. B 
Believing in Jesus, that's your highest good. Your highest good is believing in Jesus. Why? Because it restores the relationship that you were meant to live in. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? This is important. If we're going to make Jesus our center, we talked about last week, and we're going to people our aim, we have to understand what belief is. What is believing in Jesus? Believing in Jesus, because oftentimes what happens in our culture is that we make belief this really weak, limp-wristed effect. When you read the word believe here, this is technically what it means. Let me just read the technical terms. This word believe is used especially of the faith by which a man embraces Jesus. Straightforward. No other name, no one else. Jesus. Used especially of the faith by which a man embraces Jesus. As an example, it's a conviction full of joyful trust that Jesus is the Messiah. The divinely appointed author of eternal salvation in the kingdom of God conjoined with obedience to Christ. It's to have a faith directed unto believing or in faith to give oneself up to Jesus. Here's the point. The word believe has an automatic assumption that you're going to act out a conviction based on your belief. But in our culture, we've made belief something that is weak. So I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I just don't act like it, I don't follow through like it, I don't do any of the commands that the scripture tells me, I don't go after to get more people, I don't do... But this word believe means that there's a conviction that we hold that calls us to an act of commitment. This is what God shows us. God must have believed in humanity. He created humanity. Then he, he gave everything of himself to restore humanity. So there was a conviction that God has about you that, that for him meant there was an act of commitment. His act of commitment was to love you by sending his son Jesus so you could be called to your highest good, which was eternal life. Nothing supersedes how good knowing Jesus is. That's your highest good. Why? Because you're stepping in to this opportune space that Jesus is holding for you to be saved. God's love aimed his son. God's love aimed his son at the world in order to call it to call humanity to our highest good of being restored in relationship with him. People are God's aim, motivated by love, with and through his son, Jesus Christ. Number two, Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. People are Jesus' aim. Uh, Mark 10, 35. uh, There's this point of Jesus' life with the disciples. Uh, The disciples, this is what I love. You know it's messy when you make people your aim. Do you know why? Guess what people are? Now, I know all of you are perfect, and you get up in the morning looking and walking and sounding and smelling fresh just like you do right now. You go to bed in that state. You wake up in that state. Um, You know the first thing you realize when you get married? I was like, that was not the hair you went to bed with. 
I've never seen that hair. And my wife's like, I can't see your hair anymore. <laughs> Things get real, right? And then all of a sudden, like, we're going to have a messy conversation. Because when you make people your aim, it gets a little messy. So Jesus dealing with these disciples, and dealing with the disciples gets a little bit messy. It says in chapter 10, verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, these guys were hilarious. John wrote a book. John, he's the guy who self-professes. Uh, John, the, the, the disciple of Jesus, whom Jesus loved the most. That's how he prefaces his writings. That's like, you know, yeah, anyway, I'm, I, I'm mom and dad's favorite kid. And all the other siblings are like, you are? And he's like, yes, I am. Self-professed, I'm the favorite. Mom and dad love me the most. So, okay, in that spirit, listen to what him and his brother say to Jesus. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. So they said, teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Okay, let me just set this up by saying, this is how immaturity approaches faith in Jesus. Jesus, can you do me a favor? <laughs> what is your request, he asked. I love his graciousness. He's like, what, what's up, bro? My language. That's the bro. I read the bro Bible. They replied... When you sit on your glorious throne, okay, because keep in mind, they think that Jesus came to establish like a physical kingdom. They think Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And they're, now they're like, whoo, we're buddies with like the man. <laughs> so listen, this is, they're like, hey, when you get your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. Okay, so they said, we, one of us on your right and the other one on your left. James and John are approaching Jesus about like, hey, you know, can you do us a favor? Can you just be sure what's in it for me is held at the forefront? Um, they're, they're, they're like, uh, they're, people are like, society is so consumeristic. And I was like, have you read Mark 10? These guys are like, this is consumerism. Consumerism is like, what do you have for me? Right? Me-minded. They're like, Jesus, can you do me a favor? And you say, what's in it for me? One of us can be at your left. There's two of us. <laughs> one can be at your left. One can be right. Like, you're the man. We want to be like the man next to the man. Verse 41, a little bit later, says, when the 10 other disciples, rightfully so, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were mad. They're like, dude. You're trying to go to Jesus to get like the good seats. What about us? So Jesus called them all together because he's like, if I don't squash this really quick, I'm going to have a big issue on my hand. And these guys are, are literally driving me crazy. Thank, you, you better be thankful that I'm Jesus. I'm the son of God. Because if not, I'd have like said mean things to you and left you on the side of the road. You guys are just a pain. Thank God that I wasn't Jesus. Will there be no cross? There be nothing. I'm like, I'm done with you fools. So 
So Jesus calls them all together and he says, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people? And the officials, they flaunt their authority over those under them? Church, but among you, follower of Jesus, but among you, it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. And then Jesus says one of the most powerful things in scripture. He goes, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve rather than be served, even by giving his life as a ransom for many, including you. Jesus made people his aim. Too often, we sit rather than serve as the church. Too often, we consume rather than contribute as the church. We wait until something good has been done for us before we return goodness. And Jesus Christ is like, people are my aim. Even when you're a mess, even when you're not handling things the way that you probably should be handling them, I'm still aiming at you. But like, if the pastor says two things that you disagree with, you're like, I'm not tithing. (laughs) but true I'm not showing up to serve we post about it on Facebook we do these anonymous drive-by opinion pieces on the church And, and, and I'll be quite frank with you I'm tired of hearing about how the church is horrible can I be honest with you? not because I'm a pastor because Jesus Christ died for it And I want to tell you something. There's a lot of churches that are doing amazing work. And there are a lot of people in churches just like you that are are convinced that Jesus Christ is holding space. And there's a lot of people just like you, family, that are pouring in and pressing in and serving and showing up. And I refuse to stand and allow people to talk bad about the bride of Jesus Christ. Because I wouldn't allow them to do it about my own wife. I want you to know, I want you to know, it's going to be messy, but in my biggest mess, God saw me and was like, the messier, the better the target. Like this is a no brainer. I don't even have to do much to get this dude clean. He's such a mess. (laughs) Like... What is the greatest way that we serve others? Uh, We should lead the way by loving people. How are we going to love people? By aiming them at Jesus so they have the opportunity to be called to their highest good. Our goal is that we we would step into relationship with people. We step into relationship with people outside the church, like friends, people that don't know Jesus, uh, cities, whatever it is. But our goal at the end of it, we're loving people because we want to call people to their highest good. 
I love what Jesus, uh, he says early in his ministry, he, he goes and he gets baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, who is a wild character. And Jesus gets baptized and immediately he gets taken out into the wilderness. And he goes through this kind of test period where, where the, the devil wants to have his way with Jesus. And the way that the history goes is that, to simplify this, the entire time, this is what the devil was trying to get Jesus to do. Jesus, I want you to think about yourself. I want you to be a consumer and I want you to sit. I want you to make this whole thing about you. And I want you to know something. Jesus Christ overcame that moment. and He defeated the devil in that wilderness so that you and I could understand that we also too can withstand the temptation of making faith in Jesus Christ about ourselves. And then Jesus goes on and he shows up at his hometown. It's always hard. It's always hard to minister in your home because the, everyone knows your dirt. Right? When people look at you and they're like, bro, really? You're a pastor? <laughs> this is okay, right? I've had it. I've met people and they're like, oh, you're, oh, hey, man, we've been praying for you since like you were a kid. Like your mom was asking for prayer for you in our like home group. And I was like, well, God knows what my mom was asking for. But they're like, man, that's a shock. You're a pastor. I was like, well, what did my mom tell you? <laughs> Thanks, mom. Jesus then turns and he says this because he steps into his hometown. He's like, I have been called to declare. In verse 18, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus aimed at people by bringing the good news of God's love so that the bondage of sin could be broken. And family, therefore people are our aim. People are God's aim. People are Jesus' aim. And everything about what I just walked through tells me that our aim needs to be people. Our friends are dying. We need to go get them. As a follower of Jesus, we're called to have the same attitude that Christ had. And Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others as well. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Those were his words. He says, though, this, this Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He stepped in. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, 
God elevated him to the place of highest honor. Same thing that James and John wanted. But it took this sacrificial obedience of serving and love that was calling people to their highest good for Jesus to be seated in the highest place of honor. That's what it took. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you put all of your trust in Jesus as the only true Savior, conjoin with obedience to Jesus to go get them, to go get people, make people your aim. You have now truly given yourself up to him. You truly believe. Because remember, believing in Jesus is a conviction shown by acts of commitment. And this is the thing, you will also give up whatever divine privileges just like Jesus did that you think there may be. And you will see the service of loving others so they can be called to their highest good. You will see that as the greatest privilege. People are our aim. It's the greatest privilege that I've had in my life over the last 21 years. the 5 a.m. phone calls when I'm on vacation with my family. I'm a heartbroken parent whose daughter was just killed in the middle of an intersection. It's my honor and my privilege to aim my love at that family. the calls of the diagnosis of cancer and we get to come around and support a family. It's my honor. It's my privilege to make people my aim. For the opportunity of stepping in to a relationship with Jesus Christ that changes everything. what we've done for the last 20 plus years and it's what we have a conviction of doing for the remainder of our existence and it's what we will pass on to generation and generation and generation and generation it's that we would understand that with Jesus as our center we will make people our aim and we will see those who are bound set free those who are blind see and we will see freedom and transformation take place in our streets in our cities in our homes in our schools and our businesses because people are our aim First Corinthians 13 one says, if you could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, you would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That word love, it's the same word agape. You want to know how you as a follower of Jesus and in the church can cut through the noise of culture to rise above 
It's to love with a sacrificial love that serves others and calls them to their highest good in a relationship with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Doesn't have to be flashy, doesn't have to be fancy. Just needs to be full of faith. Would you stand with me this morning? understand our assignment to lead others to an encounter with Jesus in the space that he holds. We're confident in it. We're comforted by it. And we will continue to call people through our love to their highest good. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. If you feel comfortable doing so, could you just close your eyes for a second? Lord, I'm going to ask right now in the name of Jesus that just as a family, um, we would hold a conviction of when we make people our aim, the goal would be as we would aim people at Jesus. We wouldn't aim people at anything that gives us brilliance, radiance, or glory, but we would just aim people at Jesus that there would be a reviving uh, breath of life in our hearts to know that Jesus, like I said last week, that Jesus is enough. And we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to work and strive so hard. We just like be really good at loving and serving like Jesus did sacrificial obedience. But ultimately we would, we would do it knowing that we have to share Jesus Christ with people, that everything that we do is for the purpose of aiming people at Jesus Whatever the gift is, whatever we carry, whatever it is that we do well, whatever it is that we offer, it's for the purpose of aiming people at Jesus Christ, for them to have the opportunity to step into the space that Jesus Christ holds. We envision seeing other people step into the space Jesus created. For people to bow their knee to Christ and declare Jesus' name above all other names as Lord and Savior. That nations that we would see a global reviving move, that we would see nations bow their knee to Jesus Christ through our little church, through your life, that we would see the reviving presence of Jesus Christ in people's lives, on your campuses, in your homes, and in your workplaces, in the grocery stores that you shop at, the freeways that you drive down that frustrate you, that what you're doing is you're paving ways for people to come and have an opportunity to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, that we would keep Jesus as our center and we would make people our aim. That we would keep Jesus at the center and make people our aim. And we would aim people at the only truth that is saving. The only thing in this present darkness and that's Jesus Christ. And we as a family envision seeing other people step into this relationship with Jesus Christ. And we make people our aim. Next week, we're going to talk about what this looks like to do this together because you're not, you're actually not supposed to do this alone. So many of us are feeling lonely 
And you're not going to want to miss next week because we're going to talk about loneliness and what God says and, and what he's actually purposed us for. I want to encourage you. You can find on our, on our social media platforms, themovement.org. We put it in, I think, our YouTube. You can find some exercises, some activations that I've created for you from this message for you to sit this week and ask some questions for yourself that I want you to walk out of Sunday and I don't want you to just think this to be a positive spiritual experience. This is more than a positive spiritual experience. This is a call from God in your life to your highest good. The opportunity to follow Jesus on his mission. And so take advantage of these things. Sit with them. Ask these questions. Pray over them. Read the scriptures that I have put in there for you. This is how we move the needle. It's not by me preaching 101 messages. It's by all of us preaching the love of Jesus Christ in our lives as we serve sacrificially and reintroduce people to Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you. As we're leaving here today, if you need prayer, this is always for us. If you need prayer, Prayer changes things. It takes what you think is impossible and you allow God to bring his possible into it. If you need prayer, don't leave here without it. If you want to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, we want to walk with you through it. Come down and get prayer. But today, I also want you to know we're going to go love somebody. And we're going to aim them at Jesus. In Jesus' powerful name, each and every one of us said, Amen and Amen.